Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. Get your free copy of A Guide to Passively Investing in Commercial Real Estate. Inside, you'll learn the basics of passive income and real estate syndication, what kind of returns you can expect, how to find a sponsor, and how to evaluate the risks. Download your copy in the show notes or visit lifebridgecapital.com forward slash invest better to start your investment journey. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Mike Kerper. Thanks for being on the show, Mike. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. Yeah, Mike leads real estate solutions for Source Global, a BlackRock-backed startup that makes perfect drinking water from sunlight and air. Mike is a West Point grad, formerly served as a U.S. Army infantry officer and on the Starbucks strategy team for international licensing. He's passionate for finding outside-the-box ways that real estate firms can drive evaluation and attract stronger investment through sustainability. Mike, first off, thank you for your service. I appreciate that very much. And then, you know, welcome to the show. Well, thanks again for having me, Whitney. And I definitely appreciate your support. Yeah, well, Mike, let's just jump right in. Tell us what you do for Source Global and why that's important to us as real estate owners and investors. Sure. At Source Global, you know, I work on the North America team. I work specifically with folks in the real estate industry and the hospitality industry to try to bring sustainability into their portfolios, right? And we try to do that in a revenue positive way. So, you know, a lot of the examples I'm going to bring up today about how to drive value through sustainability, it's really trying to challenge some of the traditional perceptions that a lot of folks, whether you're a developer, whether you're a syndicator, that exist out there about water sustainability, right? So, you know, a lot of times we feel that sustainability is really just, you know, we're looking to save resources and cost, whether it's electricity or water. Or on the other hand, you may have a perception that sustainability is something where you pay premium prices for products, whether those are building materials, furniture that you choose in your design. And, you know, whether through my work with Source or through the other examples I'm going to bring up, it's really about turning that narrative around and looking at what are ways that we can go on offense with sustainability and start generating NOI actively? Because no matter, everyone has an opinion about the environment, but no matter what, I think a lot of these things are things that you should do to not leave money on the table. Whether your fiduciary responsibility is to a pool of investors through syndication or through yourself, you're your own investor. Okay, well, let's jump into that a little bit. You mentioned like generating NOI through sustainability. What does that mean a little bit? How do most people do that? How do you all help people do that? Sure. So, I'll start off just with the example of what I do at Source specifically, right? And sort of full disclosure, I work for this company, but I think it is a good example, an illustration of how you can start actively generating revenue that produces NOI from sustainability and not just influencing the cost side of the equation. And so, as you mentioned, you know, at Source, we have a product called the Hydro Panel, which looks a lot like a solar panel, but instead of producing electricity from the sun, it generates perfect drinking water from sunlight and air, right? So just it harnesses the natural water vapor that that is found in the atmosphere. The technology we have, it adds minerals to the water to give it the full flavor taste profile you would find in in a premium bottle of water that you'd get from the Alps or, you know, a small island in the Pacific. But 
it's generated locally, right? It doesn't come from all the way around the world. And so while this tech is cool in and of itself, in, in my opinion, you know, I'm kind of nerd out on these things, but what we try to do for whether it's a hospitality client or a real estate client is we turn this into a service, an, an ancillary service that you can use to better serve your residents at your property. So you know, we do this in a couple ways. One, we, you know, a lot of times there's just not enough space on a property. We wouldn't want to put hydro panels all over your building and completely ruin the design. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll create a water farm in the same city. And, you know, it's on a cheaper piece of land, not far from your property. And from there, we can either bottle the water and we can deliver it to your residence, you know, milkman style or water cooler style, or we could use it to feed dispensers, you know, ATM style where residents can go in the common areas and fill up a pitcher that's linked to your rent and utility software. And they can get that same bottled water quality without having to go to Costco and, and haul it back. And we do this with a couple different operating models that really take your property staff out of the picture. So it's very low impact on them. We have models that remove all of the capital expenditure from the equation so that this really is fairly de-risked. And the price for your tenants is you know, lower than what they would pay at the grocery store for bottled water, but you get margin baked in there from day one. So that's one example of how you could start you know, actively generating revenue and operating income with sustainability. That's interesting, Mike. So you mentioned like a water farm close by. It's interesting just to think about it like that. But, you know, how much land do we need for something like that? How far away, you know, typically is that happening? You know, or, or maybe we have enough land at the property already. And what does that typically look like? Or, you know, most of your examples, what do people do or operators do? Sure. So for the population at a typical 300 unit apartment building, let's say, you'd probably actually need less than a half an acre of space to be able to do that. But, you know, for instance, so in the Phoenix metro area where companies based, we have one of these water farms. It's, you know, we build them on the fringes of the metropolitan area, but usually it's one farm or two farms that can serve multiple customers within that area. And so, you know, you're looking at, you know, trucking water to those locations from the farm to the clients, you know, anywhere from once a week to once a month. Is it just drinking water or, I mean, is it, you know, water that they're going to go get for drinking or is it something that can be, you know, plumbed, you know, through the entire property? At this point, I would definitely only recommend it for drinking. It's not going to be a cost-effective way to take out all the water you would need for showering and doing the dishes, et cetera. But, you know, maybe one day we'll get there. But definitely for, you know, a lot of folks, like we spent a lot of time in places like Tampa Bay and Dallas where it's just not... You know, you just do not drink the tap water. It just does not taste good. And, you know, it becomes a weekly chore hauling that water back from the grocery store. And so this is a really great way to end that pain point for your residents in a way that also earns you some income. So this design, though, is actually like pulling moisture out of the air, I take it. Some man is powered by solar. And so it's going to all self-contain there. It's, it's not like, you know, a truck comes in and dumps a bunch of water in this thing and it's purifying it some way or running it through some filters, Right. Yeah, that's the really cool part is it's completely like does not take any grid inputs whatsoever. It does not take a drop of water from the grid, does not take a single watt from the power. So when we do some of those solutions, like where we create a reservoir on the property, a small reservoir to feed dispensers, for instance, that is an independent water supply that would never be affected by things like boil water advisories or other natural events that we've unfortunately seen, you know, 
in places like Texas throughout this year. So it is have that added, you know, sense of security for folks that, you know, I never have to go fight for bottled water in a grocery store line in the event that something goes wrong. You know, it's interesting. So I grew up in a really small town in Kentucky and, and I've noticed that in this small town, like we go back to visit, there's a couple of these stations where people can get ice and filtered water, right? And I don't think these stations are as complex or as nice as what you're talking about. However, still, people do come. I mean, like, it's just this nonstop thing. People are coming, getting water and ice, right, you know, from these stations, you know, and even they carry these big jugs, you know, so they can carry enough back for drinking water for the week or for a few days or something like that. But I was thinking about this. Could it even be like a separate business? I was thinking about, you know, if you bought a half acre of land somewhere, say close to your property, is this something that, that other people can come use as kind of its standalone business so that other people in the community could use it also? Definitely. We are doing that in several communities, just in the United States alone. We will partner with a local entrepreneur to create, you know, someone who is going to create local jobs for the, the bottling and the distribution and things like that and, and has the local networks to go sign up customers. And we do actively, especially in marginalized communities, we're really pursuing that model. How long till we see a return on our investment on something like this? So the amazing part is that for certain deals that qualify, you can have positive ROI from day one because we offer a particular model which mirrors what's done in the solar industry where the customer only pays to offtake electricity, in this case, water, where you only pay to offtake water at set rates. So we handle all the upfront investment and startup costs, and you just pay the predetermined contracted water price. And there should be enough, you know, we aim to get those projects scaled appropriately so that you can then, if you are an apartment operator, you can offer that to your clients at a price that's competitive with bottled water, but there's enough margin in there already from day one. So the payback period is literally zero. What's the biggest risk in this? Where's it going to mess up or what's the biggest trouble maybe some of the operators have had? Yeah, I think the biggest fear that people have is if you do go with that model, you are, you know, looking at buying a certain quantity of water every year. And so we do a lot of work up front to do very deliberate tenant surveys and to introduce this concept to residents such that we have an accurate picture of demand beforehand because you don't want to be contracted for all this water and then, you know, demand doesn't materialize. And so we take very great pains to, to properly size the solution so that we are, you know, getting the right number of panels, the right quantity of water for your property. And then that we have, you know, the ability to scale up if demand, you know, if your occupancy soars or all of a sudden folks really want this. So Nice. So there's a way to start smaller and then increase the size of the system somehow? Absolutely. Yeah. It's very plug and play. I mean, as your occupancy and demand assumptions change, we can scale with that. Nice. Okay. What about, I was just thinking through like in the community, how this would be viewed. It'd be hard to keep other people from coming and using it, I would imagine as well, you know, if they wanted to, and I don't really know what the problem with that would be unless it's a traffic issue or, you know, other things like that, depending on the location. And I was just thinking through tenant to you mentioned like an accurate picture of demand. What are a couple of things that could tell you this, or are there ways to, you see people like poll their tenants, you know, to ask about things like this, or what are a couple of things that would say, you know what, that may be a good option for our property? Sure. So, you know, in a closed community, like an apartment building, so we do the surveys in advance. And so our brand team will develop, whether it's a direct email introduction to the resident, or if it's a postcard at their door, you know, with a QR code that they can go to a special curated website that introduces the concept to them. We can track enrollments through those types of tools. And then when it actually comes to the service, 
you're either, you know, if you're doing the delivery method, then the tenants are signing up for, you know, say three of the five gallon water cooler jugs per month. So that's a set, you know, that's a known quantity. Or when we do have dispensers, so let's say we put dispensers on each floor of an apartment building, what a lot of customers want is a special RFID chip water container that they can use. And it's, you know, you're only metered for what you take. You know, that meter is linked to your rent that you pay every month. And so you need one of those jugs, you need to be enrolled in order to use it. In other properties that we do do, we are looking at doing some work in RV parks, in places where it's really hard to get good tasting water and ice. And, you know, part of the appeal to the property owner is that there are a lot of people that would pass by the site on their way to work every day and want to fill up on ice and water. Um, And so you want to invite them in. But in those cases, we have to look at, you know, we have to look at traffic patterns on Google. We have to look at other sales you're doing at the property, like propane, for instance, that might be a good proxy to tell us, you know, what outside traffic looks like to the site. And then we take a conservative approach again. So we're not overburdening you with capacity from the beginning. If we find out that, Hey, you got a winner here, then, you know, let's rescale it. So you mentioned, I thought it was, I have not heard of that before about the tanks or containers that are, I guess they have some kind of device on them where the system knows how much water they're supposed to get per month. Right. That's so interesting. And so if it's somebody new coming up to the system, how do they get signed up for something like that? Or do they have to connect to the leasing office and how do they get their own container and all those things? Sure. Yeah. So a lot of times next to the, so if we're doing the dispenser, like you mentioned, we'll have some signage, you know, next to or above the dispenser that explains it and with a link that the resident can go to sign up for the service. So we try to take as much friction out of it for for both your property staff and your tenants as possible. Because we don't want this to be distracting for anybody. That was going to be my next question, just about the burden. How much burden does this place on the leasing office, right? Or your manager or, you know, staff? You know, anything really, I mean, other than tenants probably coming to them first to complain, you know, if there's an issue of some kind, you know, any other burdens or issues that it places on the staff? Is not. And whether we're doing the delivery method, so in that method, either our own company directly or our third-party partner is handling the actual delivery to the unit. So you know your employees never have to haul water around the property. If we're doing the dispensing method, you know that's truly automatic. And there is, of course, a little bit of construction up front, which we include in the project price of the water. And a lot of times this construction is actually very, you know, it's a lot lower impact than you would think because we're not having to tap into any existing pipes. You know, if anything, we'll put a small reservoir in a maintenance dock, a maintenance closet, the roof outside the building, something that's an untouched or marginally used space. And, you know, we'll connect that with our own quarter inch flexible piping, which, you know, integrates. It's a very quick install that our staff handles. You know, it shouldn't ever be something that, you know, we're using plumbers to wreck your piping or to do huge aesthetic changes to your property or anything like that. Whether we're doing the dispensing or the delivery methods, you know, is the unit itself going to be the same? The actual water is the exact same. I just mean the unit that we're purchasing to put on our, you know, on the land, you know, is that going to be the same? Could we do either method or both? Oh, gotcha. You can do either. If you're doing delivery, then we don't have to put a reservoir on site. If you are doing the dispensing method, then we will have to put a reservoir of some kind. And we have a variety of options of sizes to get the appropriate one, both for the space you have and for the demand that you have. Okay. Mike, anything else you want to leave us with as far as source global or, you know, being able to do this on our properties before we move to a few final questions? Yeah, I guess just the last thought I would leave you with is that we really do try to de-risk this and make it as low impact as possible. And so, 
you know, we always find that people are oftentimes pleasantly surprised once we have those initial conversations with them about like, this is like, trust me, this is easier than you think. And we're going to go through great pains to make sure we have the right size solution for your property. And I meant to ask you, how many are being used in the U.S. right now? I'd have to get back to you on the exact install amount, but we are in 49 countries. I think we just crossed the mark. Last month, we closed a huge deal to help bring our panels to 500 homes in the Navajo Nation. This is the Native American Reservation in New Mexico and Arizona, where you have almost 100,000 people who are not drinking, who do not have safe, regular access to drinking water. A lot of them are drinking you know, poisoned well water from uranium. So that's wow. going to be a huge impact that we were able to have on a population. And, and hopefully that's just the beginning of our work there. You know, I guess if you're doing this in 49 countries, you all have installed a few of these. That's pretty incredible to be that big or to have put that many in it. It's just incredible to be able to provide that kind of water to those kind of people that don't have it, right? Don't have access to clean water. We obviously need it. So that's a big service there. So grateful for that. Well, Mike, do you have any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? This is a stereotype that comes from the military. And there's a very famous admiral who led the Bin Laden raid, who's, who's famous about saying this, but he says, the first thing you should do in the morning is make your bed because if nothing else, you've achieved something, right? You fail at everything else, you've achieved at least one thing and it's the first thing you do in your day. Well, I do take that literally. I also take in a bit of a metaphorical sense of, you know, I try to knock out, you know, my high priority tasks in the morning when I have the most focus and brain power. And so that, you know, if I knock out those big rocks earlier on in the morning, then even if the rest of the day, you know, gets all off track, then at least I've accomplished the most meaningful things I had to accomplish that day. I've seen him, his speech where he's talking about that. I think that's really neat. Even if you wreck your entire day, guess what? You get to get back into a bed that's been made, right? <laughs> Something like that. What about the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I'd say, you know, finding teams to join where you enjoy doing, you know, hard work with focused, inspiring people, whether that's in the military or, or here at Source. And that's kind of the, the aspiration that I've always had. And it's when I feel the most fulfillment out of whatever I'm doing. And how do you like to give back? I like to give back. You know, the work that we do is meaningful because not only do we get to work with luxury developers, but as I said, you know, we do some work in some very, very challenged communities. You know, a lot of times folks that were left behind that should never happen anywhere. It should never happen in America. And so it gives me a lot of sense of pride to be able to, you know, change a meaningful part of people's lives through some of the work we do here. Nice. Well, Mike, I'm grateful for your time. And I think just as entrepreneurs, this is just something else maybe we can be thinking about. You know, you talked about generating NOI through sustainability, but, you know, you mentioned at one point, you said it's not just by lowering expenses. You know, there's actually some income generating from this as well, and potentially maybe even a separate business or that could help the local community and different things like that. So it's something just as entrepreneurs, I feel like where most of us are just always thinking about, right? You know, other business opportunities and and this could be something that helps our current properties or portfolio and other people in the community also. Mike, how can listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn and you know you can always feel free to email me directly at mike.kerper at source.co. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time.
Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 